Hello, everybody. It's Elizabeth Archer coming at you with another special fifth Thursday edition of the Farm and Garden Show, where I talk about neither farming nor gardening. Um, Occasionally, we get lucky enough to have five Thursdays in a month, and I get to talk about other topics that are near to my heart that I tend to have some experience with and that are sometimes hard to talk about, and that is certainly the case today. So... Today I'm going to go deep on a thorny, scary issue. Um, I have personal experience with this issue. I've been planning this show for weeks after watching the horrifying circus that was the John Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. I want to warn listeners that there will be a lot of triggering language used during this episode about abuse and sexual assault. So please take good care of your emotional health if you're going to listen. Certainly won't hurt my feelings if you need to tune out to keep yourself safe. I'm certainly going to do this show with a lot of love and understanding. I want to start by saying that, of course, we know men can be victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. For the purposes of this show, as a woman who is a survivor of violence done exclusively by men, who is talking about other women who are survivors of violence done by men, I will be focusing on women survivors and male perpetrators. Um, So... I'm absolutely not trying to erase the very real abuse that men experience. That is just not what this show is about. I also want to remind everybody that I, Elizabeth, am a real person. I have real feelings. I have really experienced several deeply traumatic sexual assaults in my lifetime. So any reaction you have listening to this episode, other than complete support and understanding, which you are welcome to email to dj at kzyx.org, please keep that to yourself. That is not about me. That's about you. I encourage you to sit with any feelings that come up as a result of this show. Maybe talk with some people in your community that you trust with thorny issues and Talk to your therapist if you have one. Do do some work on yourself if you find yourself pushing back on anything I have to say. So, disclaimers aside, what happened? For those of you who don't keep up with social media or pop culture news, um, I'm going to mostly be talking about the recent Amber Heard John Depp defamation case. You'll notice I call him John and not Johnny. Uh, Johnny is his magnetic, charming Hollywood personality, and John is his name. So that's what I'm going with. Um, I'm not trying to glorify him in any way. Amber and John were together for about three years, and she filed for divorce in 2016. On June 1st, so about a month ago, a jury found Amber Heard was liable on three counts for statements that John Depp claimed were false and defamatory. So it was a defamation trial. The jury also found that Depp defamed Heard in one of three counts in her countersuit. So technically, both John Depp and Amber Heard won their defamation cases. But for all the reasons that matter, Amber Heard lost. Where did this defamation suit come from? In 2018... Amber Heard published an op-ed in the Washington Post titled, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. Very uh, ironic title, considering that she then goes on to face even more intense 
cultural wrath. Uh, She doesn't name John Depp anywhere in the article. She and the Washington Post consulted with lawyers on how she could write the piece without putting herself or the paper at legal risk, but he sued her anyway. And he won. In 2020, John Depp lost a similar case in Great Britain. He had sued the Sun tabloid, a bastion of journalistic integrity, but um, they won. He sued them for calling him a wife beater. Um, It's actually considered harder to win a libel uh, lawsuit excuse me, a libel lawsuit in the uh, United Kingdom than it is in the United States. So it was pretty surprising that he won his U.S. case after having lost his United Kingdom case. The biggest difference is that in the U.K. it was a judge and in the U.S. it was a jury. And we're going to talk about that. So in the U.K. case, the judge found that the son had credible evidence that Amber Heard was a victim of domestic violence on at least 12 separate verifiable occasions. So verifiable means videos, photos, medical records, eyewitness statements, uh, that sort of thing. Mark Stevens is an international media lawyer. He was quoted as saying Depp's legal team. He wasn't on Depp's legal team, but he just weighed in for an article. Uh, His legal team in the U.S. ran a strategy known as DARVO. That acronym means Deny, Attack, and reverse victim and offender. So in the U.S., they went to great, great, great lengths to make John Depp seem like the victim and Amber Heard like the abuser. So again, this is uh, Stevens, that lawyer. We quote, We find that Darvo works very well with juries, but almost never works with judges who are trained to look at evidence. So the judge has to look at the evidence And in the UK, that judge found credible evidence and John Depp lost his defamation suit. Lee Berlick is another attorney who specializes in defamation law. He says, quote, it is a remarkable it is remarkable that a judge in the UK found that the son had proven 12 separate acts of, quote, wife beating by Depp. But in Virginia, a jury essentially found zero acts of domestic abuse and that Ms. Hurd's claims to the contrary were basically a hoax, end quote. So again, in the U.S., it was up to a judge who looked at facts and evidence. In the United States, it was up to a jury. Now, that jury was mind-bogglingly not sequestered. This was a very public trial of a very two very public figures, one of whom is a beloved, famous actor. And there was an intense campaign against Amber Heard, and somehow that jury was not sequestered which means that they were seeing all of the same content that we were seeing. So if you're on social media, I know you saw it because it was everywhere. Because of the strategy of just mass content that was portraying Depp as the victim and Heard as the abuser, many people, maybe you, consumed this trial like it was entertainment. It was endlessly memed, shared, joyously mocked, as if there weren't real people on the other end of it. Make no mistake, this was a case about domestic abuse, about documented and verified violence against a woman, and people were using it for a laugh. That is pretty gross. I was definitely pretty unsettled by it. This is from Robert Evans, an investigative journalist who tweeted the following, quote, 
There is something unsettling going on with the Depp Heard trial that has not been fully sussed out. I have never in my life online been so relentlessly pushed to watch videos on a subject, despite never having clicked on a single one. The push to get people to watch videos specifically attacking Heard and pumping up Depp's, quote, hilarious responses is not quite like anything else I've seen online, end quote. I certainly experience that. If you are on Instagram or Facebook, you probably experience that, too. I even went on a deliberate campaign to thumbs down or not like that content. I reported a lot of that content, and it's still kept filling my feeds. And now a month after the trial has ended, it is still filling my feed and it is so gross. So this was due probably to two things, this widespread, you know, blanket of content that covered us all. Uh, Probably it's highly likely that Depp's team hired content creators and programmers to make that content that was favorable to him and to set up new accounts to push that content, which are called bots. Um, Also, because there was a willing audience, independent content creators, so, you know, influencers, started covering the trial as a way to boost their own presence and influence. So it was sort of a twofold double whammy, and it was just everywhere. I saw it. I'm guessing you saw it. And you know who else saw it? The jurors absolutely saw it because they were not sequestered. And it was widely effective. I mean, Depp won his defamation case, despite all evidence to the contrary. Others are already taking their lead from this legal strategy, including his close friend, Marilyn Manson. Uh, Manson has been accused of grooming and abusing actress Evan Rachel Wood starting when she was a teenager. Manson is now suing Wood for defamation, just like Depp sued Heard. It's another powerful powerful man trying to silence a woman brave enough to speak about what happened to her. This is a quote from Wood in a recent Rolling Stone interview after the lawsuit from Manson against her dropped. Quote, I am sad because this is how it works. This is what pretty much every survivor that tries to expose someone in a position of power goes through. And this is part of the retaliation that keeps survivors quiet. This is why people don't want to come forward. This was expected. End quote. On February 1st, 2021, Wood publicly shared to Instagram that Manson had abused her. This is what her post said, part of it. Quote, He started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years. I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission. I am done living in fear of retaliation, slander, or blackmail. I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. End quote. So Evan Rachel Wood partnered with HBO on a two-part documentary about her abusive relationship called Phoenix Rising that aired in March. It's available on HBO. In the documentary, Wood said that Manson, quote, was monitoring my every move. I couldn't reach out to anybody to say, I need help, because if he caught me doing that, I would be up for two days getting yelled at, pleading my case, trying to talk him off the ledge. He just knew how to break you down, end quote. I think a lot of survivors can probably relate to that. During an interview with The View, Wood said, and this is trigger warning for suicide talk, um, that she had attempted suicide. Quote, when somebody aids in the destruction of yourself and you forget who you are, you feel pretty broken and pretty empty. 
When you don't feel like you're going to get out of this hole, there's no way to leave, there's nowhere to go, that is one way of leaving, and it didn't work. And that was the turning point, because it made me think, I guess there's a reason why I'm here. I'm at the bottom, so there's no way to go but up. I always cite it as the best, quote, worst thing to ever happen to me, because it was when the phoenix rose from the ashes. It was the beginning, end quote. And that is where the title for her HBO documentary, Phoenix Rising, came from. And now she is being sued for defamation for speaking out. Uh, One benefit for Evan Rachel Wood, but a sad reality for the rest of us as a society, is that she is relatively popular and Marilyn Manson is not universally beloved like John Depp is. So Manson's suit is less likely to succeed based strictly on the court of public opinion. Which brings us to talking about good versus bad victims. If you are a woman, there is no such thing as a good victim. In a Medium article after John Depp lost his suit against the Sun in 2020, titled Johnny Depp is a, quote, good victim, Amber Heard is not, author Shannon Ashley argued that, quote, in the court of public opinion, Johnny Depp has clearly won. To a certain extent, I don't believe that Johnny Depp will ever really fall from grace in the bulk of the public's eye because collectively we are so much more invested in the man than his ex-wife Amber Heard, end quote. I'm going to read quite a bit from this article because it really nails it. She continues, quote, Depp has long represented our fantasy and fixation for bad boys with a heart of gold. Fans love to point to all of his celebrity support or mild manners in interviews. And who can blame them? Depp has long been typecast as a certain type of hero, often kooky and misunderstood. We're still talking about the possible loss of a man's career as the absolute worst thing that can happen. The wrongly accused man's story is so dang popular that by and large we are unable to even suggest culpability or accountability for Depp. Most folks feel far more content to call Amber Heard the monster and Depp the dogged down hero. Depp is a quote good victim. Amber Heard is not. By that, I mean that Depp mostly behaves the way we expect a man to behave, while Heard does not behave the way we expect a woman to behave. There is this long-standing double standard where female survivors of assault are supposed to act a certain way. People want us to have all our ducks in a timely row. We aren't supposed to lash out, be mean, or come across as anything but near-perfect and angelic. We're supposed to be believably weak in response to our abusers' attacks, but not too weak, not so weak that we'd take them back. We also aren't supposed to suffer from any mental illness. To be honest, I have never met a, quote, good female victim. Not really. There's always this question of what she did or what she might have done to have caused her own suffering. Women can't be good victims because there's always this bit of doubt, this belief that we're all manipulative gold diggers, Jezebels, or man-haters. In many ways, men get to be good victims. Not in every way, but as a general rule, we live in a culture that finds it believable that men are frequently falsely accused. We support them and tell sweet stories about the good things they've done and how they couldn't hurt a fly. These men are our fathers, husbands, boyfriends, and brothers. Men we admire and respect, and we can't imagine for a minute they would hurt a woman. We also make many allowances for abusive men. We say they snapped, that they were driven to the edge. There's this idea that it's somehow not right or unfair to make a man suffer too much because of one or more, quote, slip-ups. If a good female victim is near perfect, a good male victim is practically the inverse. 
Part of the bull s that makes John Depp such a good victim is the fact that he's long held a reputation for being a quirky and misunderstood bad boy. And, of course, our fantasy about bad boys falls completely in line with Depp's appeal. It is absolutely true that our culture makes it hard, if not impossible, for men to come forward when they are victims of abuse. This is part of the collateral damage of toxic masculinity. And it's terrible. There's no excuse for making fun of men or telling them to, quote, man up, which is really just a way to tell them to shut up and suppress their feelings. Such treatment isn't just bad for the men. It's bad for everyone, because we still have to live with those men who have been emotionally stunted, end quote. Again, that was from a Medium article titled, quote, Johnny Depp is a good victim, Amber Heard is not, end quote, written by Shannon Ashley. Thank you for bearing with me while I read that. I thought that was a really, really amazing article. If a victim of abuse starts to fight back, that doesn't mean they aren't a victim. And yet that is how it is often played. They were both at fault. And it cuts both ways. If a victim doesn't fight back, they are also a bad victim because they didn't do anything to defend themselves. People who lie or aren't considered credible do not deserve to be abused. People who aren't considered likable or do not have the general public's favor do not deserve to be abused. People who report things much after the fact do not deserve to be abused. And yet all of those people are typically considered bad victims. Survivors often wait days, weeks, months, even years before coming forward. I personally didn't realize that several unwanted sexual encounters from my youth were actually rape until literally years later. I was 17 the first time I was sexually assaulted, and I completely blocked that memory until I was 34. Am I a bad victim because I blocked it out? I don't think so, and I don't think anyone else's either. But again, it's that double standard that... The worst thing for a man is to lose his reputation, and that's not worth any woman speaking her truth. And it's just, it's just really sad. I'm going to take a break and play a song. This is Kesha Praying. Cause you brought the flames and you put me through hell I had to learn how to fight for myself And we both know all the truths I could tell that was Praying by Kesha. Kesha has also been through her own horrifying ordeal of abuse with her producer, Dr. Luke is his nickname. She accused him of abusing her for over a decade and he countersued her for defamation. And that started back in 2014, and it is still going on today. She just lost a case in March, saying that even if she wins her case against him, she cannot recoup her legal fees. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm Elizabeth Archer. This is a special Fifth Thursday edition of the Farm and Garden Show, where I talk about neither farming nor gardening. Thanks for coming with me today on a hard journey into society's treatment of women who survive abuse and speak out about it. We are focusing mostly on the recent John Depp Amber Heard defamation trial that, for all intents and purposes, John Depp won. I want to talk about why false accusations are vanishingly rare. There is a common assumption that a lot of people make false accusations about abuse. 
Survivors, especially women, are cast as liars out for revenge, gold diggers who failed, or in the case of Amber Heard, both a gold digger and someone who wanted to be famous. This same message portrays the attacker as the victim. John Depp's career has been ruined, his name has been smeared, and so on. Of course, John Depp's career was on the ropes long before this because of his own bad behavior on set and elsewhere. I'm going to talk about that later. John Depp also has more money than anyone has a right to and will continue to be well-funded thanks to the system of royalties that ensures he is paid for all of the movies he's ever made. He also has a lucrative ad campaign with Dior, who never dropped him. If John Depp wants to work, there will always be someone who will hire him. If Amber Heard wants to work, do we think the same is true for her? False reports are low because there is very little benefit in coming forward when it's true. So why lie about it if your life is going to be destroyed? So false reports are very rare, as low as 2% of all accusations and not higher than 10% of all reported cases of sexual or domestic violence are considered false This figure comes from a commonly cited 2010 study. It was published in the peer-reviewed international journal Violence Against Women. There's almost no benefit to coming forward. Not yet. Maybe that'll change one day. But there's almost no benefit to coming forward. You are maligned. You're attacked. You are subjected to ridicule and having everything in your past drug up to show why you're, again, a bad victim like we talked about before. You have to be perfect to be believed. And even when you're perfect, you're not believed, as in the case of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who I'm going to talk about in a minute. So, yeah, there are a lot of downsides to coming forward with your story many of which I myself have experienced. I'm not a survivor of domestic assault, but I am a survivor of sexual assault, and I have spent years healing from that. Survivors who come forward are subjected to intense scrutiny, including investigations, intrusive investigations by law enforcement, often private detectives in high-profile cases. Uh, We often lose friends, especially if we had shared friends with our abuser when we speak out about what happened to us. Uh, We are gaslit constantly, told we must not have remembered what happened or that the person we're accusing could never have done such a thing, Um, even when there is loads of evidence that the person probably could have done such a thing. So let's talk about the history of John Depp's bad behavior. So like I said, no good victims if you are a woman accusing um, a man. Amber Heard in that defamation trial was subjected to mental health examinations. You know who wasn't? John Depp. Even though he has signs of mental illness, even though he himself referred to keeping the monster inside him at bay, there is nothing wrong with having mental illness. There is something wrong with weaponizing it against someone who is making an accusation of mistreatment that they have endured and that the person you are accusing is not also subjected to those same mental health examinations. 
But like I said, John Depp's bad behavior goes back a long, long, long way. Let's take a little tour through his sordid history. In 1989, Depp was arrested for assaulting a hotel security guard in Canada after the guard had asked Depp, who was intoxicated, and his friends to leave. Charges against him were dropped after he promised a judge he'd behave in the future. That only works if you are rich and or white, preferably both. In 1994, Depp was arrested on charges of criminal mischief. He destroyed a hotel room, allegedly because he was having a fight with his girlfriend at the time, 20-year-old supermodel Kate Moss. He had to pay about $10,000 in damages, but was otherwise not held responsible. In 99, Depp was arrested for threatening paparazzi in London. In June of 2013, when he was with Amber Heard and pretty close to the beginning of their relationship. He texted, he had a series of texts with his friend, actor Paul Bettany. Uh, There is really strong triggering language in here. And I can't say some of it on the radio, um, but you'll probably be able to fill in your own blanks. This is what he texted to Paul Bettany. Quote, let's drown her before we burn her. In 2014, he texted to Paul, quote, I'll smack the ugly C word around before I let her in, end quote. Later on in that same conversation, quote, I will F her burnt corpse afterwards to make sure she's dead. He had previously texted about his ex-wife and mother of his children, Vanessa Paradis, that she was a, quote, French extortionist C-word. That's how he's talking about the mother of his children. These are documented text messages that he sent. It wasn't a joke. He wasn't being funny. And hey, it turns out that when you say joking things that are sexist and misogynistic, it doesn't matter. The intent is the same. It's still misogyny, even if you think it's a joke. If you think misogyny is funny, that makes you a misogynist. Just chew on that one for a minute. Um, Sorry. To back up a claim heard made that Depp had been violent when they were on a flight, Um, The following text from her ex-husband was issued as evidence in which he described himself as the trip, in which John Depp described himself on the trip as, quote, an angry aggro engine in an effing blackout, screaming obscenities and insulting any F word who got near. So that's something John Depp is saying about himself that he did. He confirmed in court that those text messages were indeed from him. So knowing all of this about him, knowing he has a history of being violent, knowing he sent these text messages, these violent text messages, why is it so hard for us to believe collectively as a society that he could have abused his partner? Again, we know that a court in Britain found credible evidence of 12 different instances of domestic violence perpetrated by John Depp against Amber Heard. We saw very scary videos that Heard had recorded of him, saw photos of the bruises on her body, heard from others who said Amber had confided in them about the abuse. So why do we not only not believe her, but collectively hate her? Is Amber Heard a little annoying? Yeah, she is. Is listening to audio of her berating John Depp grating? Sure. Yeah, I don't like to listen to other couples fight. 
Um, she's not someone that I think I would be best friends with, but annoying people don't deserve to be abused. And they certainly deserve to be believed if they come forward with credible accusations, but her berating him and yes, in cases hitting him is not evidence that they were quote, both at fault. That was such a common argument during this trial. They were both at fault. It was toxic. They were, you know, both to blame. To ignore the power differential between them, the age difference, he is significantly older than her. The power and money and fame, he has way more money, way more resources. He is an almost universally beloved actor who has made some of the most memorable movies of our generation. My generation, his generation. He's older than me. Um... There is a tremendous power differential at play. And she had been abused before she started to fight back. To say that they are equally at fault because a victim starts to fight back is willfully naive. It's dangerous. And it's really just a depressing reality that we live in that that is how people think. Um, It's especially concerning to survivors like me who have spoken up, Uh, but it doesn't always have to be this way. I want to share a story about the first time I publicly shared about one of my assaults. In September of 2018, I, along with most of you, probably watched the hearings where Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified about Brett Kavanaugh assaulting her during a special hearing um, when he was being considered to, to be appointed to the Supreme Court. She was calm, measured, and her life was ruined. He, through tantrums, And was awarded a seat on the Supreme Court. We let men act badly and reward them. And even when women are the perfect victim, we still punish them. After that, I went on a Facebook friending spree. I hadn't really used Facebook much before that. uh, But I friended everyone I could find who I went to high school with, who was in my class or the class just below me. I was scared, but I was determined to finally speak out after um, having suppressed basically what had happened to me 20 years ago. I'm going to read what I posted. Quote, on Thursday, I listened to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testify about being sexually assaulted as a teenager. I sat in my car before work crying for her, for me, for all of us. Her story is not unusual. It has happened to many women and girls, you know, it happened to me. Several times, actually, but the one I'm about to share was the most damaging. Like Dr. Ford, I am terrified to tell my story. I cannot fathom the courage it took to do what she has done on a national stage. But also like Dr. Ford, the details of my own assault have been seared into my memory and haunted me episodically as an adult. And I refuse to carry the shame of what happened or the fear of backlash for one second longer. By sharing my story, I unburden myself of it. The first boy I ever kissed was at age 15. His name was Andrew. We were walking home from a ninth grade graduation party and took a shortcut through the woods. We rolled around on the forest floor and my whole body was on fire with excitement. The boy and I belonged to the same group of friends and the next day and for months after that, he neither looked at me nor spoke to me. 
I was crushed, confused, and ashamed. Almost exactly two years later, that same boy sexually assaulted me. I was 17 and had just started drinking, only at friends' houses where I knew I could spend the night. As a kid, I was always responsible and often uptight, a quote, good girl, carefully testing her boundaries. Late one Friday night as a party was ending, I lay down on a couch, drunk enough that the room was spinning. I fell asleep surrounded by friends playing bongo drums and guitars, friends who had known me since elementary school and who would protect and defend me should the need arise. So I thought. Early the next morning, I felt someone gently shaking my shoulder. We have to go, my best friend whispered, the other member of our three musketeers group standing nearby. I became aware of a heaviness on top of me and opened my eyes to see Andrew's face two inches from mine. He was passed out on top of me, one hand on my breast. As I struggled to get up, I realized that my jeans were unzipped and Andrew's hand was down my pants, my underwear wedged uncomfortably to the side by his fingers. I shoved him off of me and bolted upright. He hit the floor with a thud and didn't stir. My friends and I looked at each other, startled and scared. Are you okay? One of them asked me. I wasn't. I went into the bathroom to check myself, although I wasn't really sure what I was checking for. My friends gathered my things, put me in a car, and drove me home. I spent the weekend dwelling on what had happened. I tried to remember more details, but there was nothing between passing out and waking up. I rehearsed what I would say to Andrew when I saw him. It included a hard slap across the face. That Monday when I saw him with a group of our friends, my entire body flushed with anger and humiliation, and I went in for the slap. He dodged it, and I felt powerless and weak. Before I could say a word, he cut me short with one disgusted phrase, you wanted it, and swaggered away. After that, I was shunned by our friends. It was easier to believe Andrew's version that it was consensual. The alternative was too ugly, requiring the formation of a negative opinion about a treasured friend. Even my two musketeers, my greatest allies, suggested that perhaps I had consented and just didn't remember, never mind that I was asleep. Also, I had recently started drinking. Maybe I was rebelling against all those years of my rigid schoolgirl routine. It doesn't matter why people thought I had consented. What matters is no one believed that I hadn't. The trauma of my assault was magnified by the trauma of being gaslit by my community. I was faced with a choice. Accept Andrew's version of events and keep my friends, or stick to my version and lose them. I chose the former. I, a bold and confident young woman who never kept my mouth shut, and managed to convince myself that maybe everyone else was right. I didn't talk about it again, went to college a year later, and found new friends. I repressed the trauma for over a decade, but in my late 20s, it crept back into my conscious mind, insisting on my attention. I mostly avoided any real reflection until I was trying to get pregnant, and then the floodgates opened. Pregnancy and birth and motherhood have a way of breaking you and making you whole again. Of course, in my 30s, I was better equipped to process what had happened to me. I was more mature, had access to therapy, could count on supportive friends and a loving husband, and had created a joyful and fulfilling life that included space to reflect. At age 17, I didn't know any of what I know now. I didn't understand that being unconscious, I was unable to consent. I didn't understand what victim-blaming was, nor did I understand why survivors of assault so rarely report it. I was unequivocally sexually assaulted, and no one believed me. Today, when I think of Andrew and the people who sided with him, I'm angry. My anger for Andrew is visceral, as strong now as ever, 
possibly a mask for my fear, now confirmed knowledge that he assaulted other women over the years and that I did nothing to stop him. I'm angry at the others for letting it go unchecked, for turning a blind eye to an uncomfortable reality. My anger for the people who enabled it, who ostracized and silenced me, is more complex. They didn't know any of that stuff back then either. It's not like we learned about consent in school or anywhere else. I reached out to one of my old friends and her response, the first communication we had in over a decade, was profoundly validating. It read partially, I wish I had some of the skills I have now so that I could have understood what happened and better supported you. You are absolutely right that friends didn't want to believe that Andrew could do something like that. So they pressured you into feeling like it was just making out, you were drunk, etc., I feel sick knowing what he said to you afterwards. I am so sorry that you were assaulted by someone we knew and the community was not supportive of you. One person I'm not mad at anymore is myself. It wasn't my fault. I drank at a party, hardly earth-shattering behavior for a 17-year-old, fell asleep on a friend's couch, and was assaulted while unconscious. For 20 years, I carried this burden, almost entirely alone. For some inexplicable reason, I have been scared that the telling of the story might get back to Andrew, might harm his reputation in some way, might cause him to lash out at me. And yet, it isn't inexplicable at all, is it? Most women are loath to name their assaulters. We are conditioned to protect the fragile male psyche and reputation. But I'm done with that. This story is mine to tell, and now, finally, I've told it. End quote. Again, that was a post I made to Facebook about an experience I had when I was 17. I made that post in 2018. And guess what came as a result of that post? An apology from Andrew. An actual reckoning. At first, I hadn't named him, but then three different women I went to high school with read my story and reached out to say that something similar had happened to them. And I couldn't figure out why, 20 years later, was I still protecting this man. So I tagged him in it and said, hey, you might want to read this. He reached out to me directly and asked what he could do to make amends. And I said that he needed to apologize to anyone else that he may have harmed privately and not wait for them to publicly accuse him. And he told me he did. And then he made this public comment on my page. Quote, I've spent the last couple of days really looking into myself and trying to reckon Elizabeth's experience with my own memory. I would be lying if I said I didn't remember things a bit differently, but I have come to realize that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I believe or what I remember about something that happened 20 years ago. What matters is how what I did and allowed to happen and perpetuated affected someone's life so drastically, and I'm devastated. I have spent a lot of time over the past several years processing the serious mistakes and behavior that I have made, but I haven't really spent enough time considering the lasting impacts that behavior has had on others. I don't see myself as an abuser or a monster, but I can see upon reflection how others might think so. That terrifies me. And I have needed to come to terms with the wreckage that my actions have left in other people's lives. I am so sorry, and I don't know what I can do to make amends other than say I am sorry profoundly and that I am now trying to be a better man for my daughter, for my wife, for myself, and for everyone else in my life. I hope Elizabeth really can forgive me for altering the course of her life like I did. And to others who I might have hurt, traumatized, or alienated, I am so sorry, and I hope you can forgive me as well. I realize I was part of the problem we are all facing now, and I want to be part of the solution. I want a better culture for our children because they deserve better. Wow. That 
blew me away. I immediately responded. I thanked him for his public apology. I let him know I forgave him. It was a relief to me. It was a relief to him. It was a relief to the dozens of people in the comment section, many of whom remembered it happening, many of whom were at that party. It's not an exaggeration to say that his apology and my acceptance of that apology was a profoundly healing experience for a lot of people. It is incredibly powerful when people who have done wrong admit the harm they have caused and take meaningful steps toward repairing that harm. Imagine a world where a woman comes forward with her story. The man admits that it happened, apologizes, and makes a plan to do better moving forward. As a survivor, the first thing I wanted was validation from the people I told, from the person who did it, that my experience was real and valid. And that's the only time I've ever gotten that. It doesn't always go that way. I'm going to take another break. And when I come back, I'm going to tell the other side of how that story usually goes. And it's very sad that the situation I just described is the very rare exception and not the rule. This is Fletcher. I believe you. That was Believe You by Fletcher. This is a special fifth Thursday edition of the Farm and Garden Show. This is Elizabeth Archer, your host. I'm not talking about farming or gardening. I like to use the fifth Thursdays to talk about other subjects. And today I'm talking about primarily the John Depp Amber Heard defamation trial and more broadly about what happens when survivors of abuse speak out and it's usually not good. So before the break, I shared a story about when I did speak up about the first time I was assaulted and that my assaulter apologized publicly and that it was extremely healing for him and for me and for a lot of other people who had remembered it happening. Now I want to tell a much more common story. This is not a story about my own assault. It's about someone else's and a friend who was friends with the assaulter. Um, It happened last year. This is very fresh for me. I'm still reeling from it, if I'm being totally honest. And I'm going to do my best to get through it in the eight minutes I have left in this show. There was a Washington state legislature named Joe Fain, who was credibly accused of sexual assault. He denied it. And then when the legislature said they were going to investigate, he resigned and they dropped the investigation. I had a good friend who was friends with Joe. I engaged in a sort of comment back and forth with Joe about a year ago. And then my friend and I had quite a bit of back and forth about what had happened. And, you know, I was really, I spent a lot of time and energy calling him in, educating him. I asked him to do a few things. He said he would. 10 months went by. In that 10 months, I reached out to him three times. And then he finally responded to me um, with a two-line email Quote, I've had a lot of time to reflect on what happened between us earlier this year. Speaking for my own emotional health, I think it's best if we go our separate ways. End quote. That was a good friend of mine. We had been very good friends for 20 years. I asked him to do some work, and he didn't do it. 
what made me the maddest at the time was that he had had all that time to reflect and had clearly made his decision, but didn't respect or care for me enough to share that reflection with me, instead waiting for me to reach out after I had been stressed and anxious for 10 months. It consumed me. Uh, I had opened old wounds and endured fresh trauma to educate him at his request. I had told him it was too triggering to do that education. He asked for it repeatedly and I gave it to him. Um, After all of that, his emotional health was paramount and mine was so irrelevant after 20 years of friendship. It didn't even merit doing me the smallest kindness of reaching out and telling me he didn't want to be my friend anymore. So I did eventually go to Facebook with this. It took um, some time, but sharing my stories publicly has been a really important part of my my healing. And here is a partial, um, ex- an excerpt from that Facebook post, which I made on March 6th of this year. Quote, I have talked before about survivors of sexual assault suffering additional traumas at the hands of authorities, friends, deniers, and the general public. This is true for pretty much anyone who who comes forward, which is a huge part of why so many survivors don't. About a year ago, I exchanged in a Facebook comment exchange with a high-profile accused rapist on a friend's page. My friend and I then had some back and forth about it, after which I asked him to do a few concrete things. I'm just realizing, sorry, (laughs) I'm realizing I already said this part. Like I said, I'm a little bit flustered um, because this is really hard to talk about. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to go back in my notes. Um, I've already told you that part that he basically ended our friendship over it. Sorry. This is what I meant to read. This is from my original message to my friend a year ago. Quote, Joe doesn't deny it happened. He just thought it was, quote, consensual. She said it wasn't. So whose truth matters more? And if he had just said, whoa, I'm so sorry. I remember this differently. But clearly I was wrong. And I'm sorry for the trauma I've caused. And I promise to educate myself and make amends every way I know how and be a leader and advocate on this issue. He would have been forgiven, alleviated so much of her pain, helped with healing for her and a lot of other women who need to see men take responsibility and probably could have kept his political career alive to boot. But he, like nearly every other toxic man, just denied, denied, denied. It's disgusting and it's ingrained in our culture and I've been a victim of it and so has every single woman you know to some extent. Since this went down, I reached out to Joe's victim and we've been corresponding. She gained nothing and lost a lot by coming forward, like almost all victims who speak out, including her job. What price has Joe paid? What reckoning has he or any of his friends or family done? None publicly, that's for sure. And that includes you. Having to educate yet another man was triggering and more than I could handle. I don't want to be your educator. I want you, as my friend and as a man, to truly reckon with the culture we all exist in and the part you play in it. I want you to think back on every time you saw a male friend behave badly and did nothing. To examine situations that you thought were normal at the time, because we've all been conditioned to accept bad behavior, but realize now we're actually very wrong. I want you to think back on any time you may have behaved badly, and what, if any, amends you might owe. And also, I want us to still be friends, good friends. And often when a woman says the things I'm saying, she loses friends, as I have, as Joe's victim has, as every survivor who has ever told her story has. So this is scary for me, but I love you and I want to trust you with everything I have said, end quote. That's the email I sent to my friend who 10 months later broke up with me. (laughs) So yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy, very sad, very predictable. Um, 
I'm coming to the end of the hour, but I just, I want to reflect on how powerful an apology is and how continually damaging denial and attack is. And that's damaging for everyone. Abusers aren't born abusers. They are victims of the same societal Uh, influences that we all are and part of everybody's healing is taking accountability and making amends one line from my original story really sticks out to me what I said was quote by sharing my story I unburden myself of it Amber Heard is now legally prohibited from sharing her story she is legally prohibited from calling herself a survivor of domestic violence Can you imagine being gagged in that way after enduring what she has endured and then having to deal with the absolute muckraking, if that's the right use of the word, of her name? I mean, this poor woman's life has been absolutely ruined. And why? Because of celebrity worship. But here's the thing. John Depp doesn't care about you or me or anyone outside of his sphere of powerful people. You are not friends. You will never be friends. Your loyalty to him, if you feel loyal to him, is misplaced at best and dangerous at worst. Over the years, he has created content that you've probably enjoyed, maybe even loved. I love some of his movies. The first Pirates of the Caribbean and Chocolat and Finding Neverland and Ed Wood. He has made some amazing movies. And I've also fallen prey to celebrity worship over the years. But I try to be discerning, and I'm no longer a Depp fan. But here's some good news. You can believe Amber Heard, and you can still watch John Depp's movies. No one is telling you you can't. No one is taking that from you. Some people, like me, won't watch his movies. But that doesn't mean that you can't keep loving Edward Scissorhands and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, although that is problematic for other reasons. That is not a good reason to publicly malign and shame and hate a woman who has been found to have been a victim of domestic abuse by a court in Britain and has the receipts. There is no good reason to praise and glorify a man who has a history of angry, violent behavior stacked up behind him, even if his art is something we admire. So I just want you to chew on that and this is the end of my show thank you so much for coming on this journey with me um i'll be back the next time there's a fifth thursday i'm certainly open to suggestions of any shows you want to talk about i want to remind everyone i'm a real person with real feelings this was very hard to do and i welcome your um feedback positive or neutral at dj at kzyx.org if you have feedback that isn't positive or neutral, I encourage you to think about why and do that work quietly within yourself. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.